Well, good morning, everyone. Special welcome to all of you that are watching on the internet today. Glad to have all of you with us, and for some that are visiting today, and welcome to our newest member. Good to see you here as well, and hope to see a lot more of you. Uh, I don't know what you pay much attention to things that are going on in the news, but there's still a lot of things going on that we need to be continually aware of. I'm not going to bring anything up, but just make sure that everybody's watching. It's prophetic in one sense of the word, but continue to, to watch that. You know, I would bet, but not a lot, that many of you, if not most of us, somewhere in all the belongings that we have, and if you're like us, we've got too much stuff laying around. There's someone that said one time, if you haven't used it in a year, throw it away. And I think Mr. Reedy has experienced that on behalf of his wife helping him do that. So, <laughs> at least that's what I've been told. That we tend to amass stuff over the years. And the older you are, and Mr. Gross was so kind to point out that we are aging, um, we tend to get more and more. We store it away somewhere, and sometimes we forget about it, and we're going through looking for something else, and we find it. And it's maybe a prized possession of some kind. In many cases, it has really little or no real monetary value. If you took it somewhere to try to sell it, you probably wouldn't get anything. You might have to pay somebody, in fact, to take it. But it's valuable to us, some type of a keepsake or memento. I have a photograph of my grandfather on my mother's side of the family who is standing in the back of his old Studebaker pickup holding a nice 10-point buck that he had just killed in Rankin County, Mississippi, hunting on the place that we had out there at the time. It's now all underwater due to a reservoir that, that took everything. But that picture sits up in my closet. I know exactly where it is, and occasionally I actually pull it down and look at it because he was the one that when I would stay with him in the summertime and he would pick me up after school before Christmas holidays started and before Thanksgiving started and before any other holiday, he'd be waiting outside in his truck to pick me up. He's already gone by the house and picked up my clothes and we head to the country. And I just spent a lot of time with him over the years, especially after my grandmother died. <clears throat> and uh, we spent a lot of time together fishing and hunting and just doing things. And he just, you know, made a huge impression with me. We might have a program from some re recital that one of our children or grandchildren may have been in. Uh, whatever it may be, it, it may be some type of an heirloom that we have received from our parents or grandparents. Uh, but, you know, they probably, again, like have little or no monetary value or real value in the sense of worldly value. They don't add up to too much, but we truly, truly treasure them. And I know in listening to some of the people during Harvey and Irma, a lot of the people were most concerned about things like that that they lost. They try to get up everything they can before they leave, but they were not able to do everything they wanted to do. For whatever reason, you know, we have that value that we put around them different ways different you know different situations is it possible is it possible that God has something like that that he has some special treasures that he has a a book or something like that somewhere where he stores his treasures I think so now it sounds good or it sounds odd to think of God as treasuring anything. After all, He owns everything. We get to borrow it and use it through our lifetime. Anything of worth, He, you know, it's His. Anything of value, He created it. 
All beauty, value comes from Him. Uh, the scripture over in James chapter 1 and verse 17 comes to mind where it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Another scripture found over in Psalms chapter 50, beginning in verse 10, it says, For every beast of the forest is, is mine, the cattle upon the thousands of hills. I know all of the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. They are mine. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. All that we have, in that sense of the word, belongs to God. Now, each of us is different. Now, I know that's not a great revelation to any of you that you have never heard that before, never thought about that. But we treasure things in somewhat of the same way, in that sense of the word, maybe different things, different stuff, but we all have those same types of feelings about them. There may be degrees of difficulty, but we all struggle with having the kind of faith that we know we're supposed to have, the kind that was spoken of by Christ in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, when he said, I'm sorry, I lost my place, there we go. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, very, very small, you ever seen a mustard seed, very, very small, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Now, I want to see a show of hands of how many of you have lately moved a mountain. So we're all coming up a little bit short. Uh, I'm not sure if that was meant to be exactly in that sense of the word. It's, it's an analogy in one sense of the word. But it goes on to say, And nothing shall be impossible unto you. If we have the kind of faith that we are obtaining or striving to obtain, nothing shall be impossible for you. And I think we all struggle more or less with how we are to disciple other people, how we are to help others, to witness to them, to lead them, to help them. And yet we know the Scripture. It tells us that we should. It tells us something we should be doing and striving to change in. And I think we're all and should be concerned about the example that we set individually and collectively as a person who calls himself a disciple of Christ, i.e. a Christian. That has within its context something that means a lot to those of us in this room and to many other people who understand truly what that means. To many in the world, it doesn't, in fact, it's an epithet in some sense of the word. But to those of us who fully understand the word of God and have been given of His Holy Spirit, we understand that means a lot. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, For he, even hereunto were you called, talking to all of us, all of you out there that are listening today. Because Christ also suffered for us. He left us an example that we should follow in His steps. And I don't know how many times, we're not trying to count it, and I've heard it 10 and you've heard it 50, you know, how many times we've heard that, how many times we've seen examples of that in the Bible as we study His Word. But we are supposed to leave, follow that example that He has left us and follow His steps. Who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth. He did not speak evil against anyone. And again, I think we know and understand for reading and studying the Scriptures, the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gave to us over in 1 Timothy when he was talking to his, in effect he called him his son, Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Be you an example of the believers. Who do we have in this room today? Believers. Are we an example to the believers as well? In word, 
the things that we say, in our conversation or our conduct, <clears throat> in charity, in the love that we have for one another, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, I don't know that he necessarily left anything out there. He tried to cover it all, it seems like to me. So when, when we look at these scriptures, and we begin to, all the scriptures that I've talked about here, plus all the ones that you know, comes to mind to you that you're aware of as well, how do we do, how do we, in looking at these scriptures, how do we compare to those scriptures in the life, the life that we live? Is our life one who shows a credible disciple? One who truly believes in Christ and the things that we're doing and saying? Are we believable in our example to others? Or in one sense a word, and this is a very difficult word in one sense, are we a hypocrite? Now the definition of a hypocrite is a person whose actions, who what they do, belies what they're stated, what they've said that they actually believe in. But it also can be called someone who is playing a part in a, in a play or something, or play acting. Are we simply playing church, playing the part of a believer, or are we fully, totally, 100% committed to the calling that we have been given, to the blessings that we have received? In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, it says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does that mean that we have to completely go down and dump everything that we own to give to the poor and the needy and everything else and not save anything for ourselves? No. It just means are we willing? What is it that we hang on to? What is it that we wouldn't do that we are called upon to do for Jesus Christ? He cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Helps the food too. Really flavors it sometimes. But if the salt loses its savior, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Goes on to say it is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. That's pretty serious. Not fit for those two things. But men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. How well are we in our daily life salting the people we run with, the people we see, the people we work with, our neighbors, friends, even here in this congregation. I hope and I think that we're all concerned with how God sees us, how our actions, the words that we speak, the thoughts that we have, in effect, all of our life, that it reflects Jesus Christ within us. Do I come up short? You bet. Daily. But we continue to try, to strive, to overcome, and to change, and to truly follow this way of life. I begin this message today with the question as to whether or not God has any treasure. I'd like for you to look at Exodus, or you can just write it down and look at it later. Chapter 19 and verse 5. It says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, Another part of the scripture says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Then you shall be a peculiar. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes in the biblical sense, odd, crazy, idiots, you know, things like that. It means special. A peculiar or a special treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 
So to answer that question, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, keep my commandments, that's not in there, but I added it, then you shall be a special treasure unto me above all people. We will be, if we do the things that God has asked us to do, and He, he gives us these laws, these instructions and everything, not for His good, it's for our good. It's to help us live our life in such a way that we will prosper in the things that we do, to enjoy life. And if we don't do those things, then we end up finding ourselves sometimes in trouble. But God has promised that He will see us through no matter what the problem is if we, if we depend on Him. And, and I realize it's unusual, unorthodox, whatever you want to call it, to speak, and maybe even foolish to speak of God as having human characteristics in that sense of the word. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you all know that scripture. God created man in his own image. He said, so let us create man in our image. So that maybe, look at it from this standpoint, it is not God having human characteristics, but we as humans, as his created beings, are maybe developing characteristics of the image in which we have been made. If you want to make an other side comparison. If so... What could God possibly value, possibly treasure, beyond Himself and what we know is His only begotten Son? We know God is perfect. We know it says in Scripture He is utterly complete, self-sufficient, doesn't need anything. We saw the Scripture talking about that. He owns everything. He lets us use it. But yet, for some reason, and I think we do know the reason, God was motivated to create man, he had to have a purpose. He had to have a reason. And I think that treasure is a part of that purpose. The universe changed when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Things became entirely different in this universe. We know before that it was just chaos in one sense. But over in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 2, Again, it repeats this. It says, For you are a holy people, a people who have been set aside, who have been, in effect, sanctified unto the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you, again, it says peculiar, but again, it would be better rendered special. You to be a special people unto Himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Doesn't exclude anyone. It says, Those people whom God has called and whom He has chosen, whom He has directed, we are chosen to be a special people unto Him above all the nations, upon all the people, upon the face of the earth. I think with that and many other scriptures, some we've gone over, I believe we cannot help but come to the conclusion that we, regardless of how frail we are, how weak we are, how worthless, in that sense of word, and I don't mean anybody's worthless in the sense that we sometimes use it, but in, in, the, in comparison with God, that we, the people in this room, the people who God has called, are the treasure of God. This is the reason, this is the purpose for creation when He said, let us make man in our image. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 15, it says, Only the Lord had a delight in your fathers to love them, and He chose their seed after them. Who are we? We're the seed after them. Even you, above all people as it is this day. So I think God delights in His people. I think He delights in His treasure. 
But you know, any of you who, who have been parents, did you delight 24-7 in your children? Or did you have a few times where maybe they just weren't so delightful? I don't think she's listening today, so I'll say this, but my daughter was a pill growing up. <laughs> we had our difficult one to handle. And I think uh, she asked later in her life that one of her children, when they were doing some of the things they did, is this how she named one of her brothers was? And we says, no, nope, that's you. That's you. Now, all of our children, I love her to death. She's the joy of my life in that sense, as are my children and grandchildren. But sometimes our children test our patience, even as they get older. Um, but we love them dearly, wouldn't take anything for them, although maybe somebody made a real good offer way back, maybe. But, <laughs> but in that sense of the word, God does not always delight in all people, all the time. He has times, too, I think, when He is frustrated. I think I have frustrated him more than once in my life and probably will again, although not intentionally. There are certain things, though, that do bring about with God a particular joy to his heart. And again, here we're describing human emotions to God or maybe in the reverse, godly emotions to his image. And I don't pretend to fully understand or to be able to perfectly explain what I'm talking about there but I read it in the book. So in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 6, it says to seek you the Lord while he may be found. Now, what, is, what does that tell us? There may be a time coming when he won't be able to be found. That when we, if we wait too long, he may not be able to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way let the unrighteous man, in effect, forsake his thoughts. And let him, let, let all of us, return unto the Lord. Let us return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will forgive. He will pardon. He wants to forgive. He wants to pardon. He wants us to show him that repentance and that turn to him. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways, He says in this course, my ways, higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but it waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. God's Word is not going to go out without coming back to Him in some fashion, form, or purpose for what He intended it for. And that's one reason we try to preach the Gospel message. Because God has promised us that that Word will not return void. It will return with what it's supposed to accomplish. He goes on to say in verse 11, So shall my Word be that goes forth out of my mouth, shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereunto I sent it. It won't only come back, it will prosper, it will create, it will be better than it was. For you, in verse 12, shall go out with joy. You shall be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth 
before you in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now that's, you know, obviously an analogy or a parody of some kind or another when the, you know, the trees are clapping their hands. One of the, which movie was it where the trees talked and clapped their hands? Uh, Twin Towers, okay. One of the uh, trilogy. Trilogy, yeah. Uh, I've seen them, a lot of those, but I tend to forget, get them mixed up. Uh, that's an unusual thing to see, you know, the hills singing and the trees clapping. Uh, sort of gets your attention. But again, it's an analogy showing that how happy things will be. The creation, even, will be happy. Instead of the thorn, we'll have the fir tree. Instead of the briars, anybody ever gotten to a bunch of briars? There's a place out in West Texas that we've hunted some out there. And everything out there either bites you or stings you. So you, you can't win one way or the other. Years ago, several of us were down in South Texas doing some quail hunting. We were in a van and we were riding around the roads. And I think we had two or three flat tires just riding around on the roads because of the, the, the briars and the big thorns down in southwest Texas down along the Rio Grande that get you down there. So you can understand that when you've been in those kind of situations. So instead of the, the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting th- sign that shall not be cut off. Everlasting. Not going to be cut off. It's going to be there forever. What God seeks, He finds. What He does... He accomplishes and it prospers. And just as God asked Job over in Job chapter 38 and verse 4, He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, I don't know how Job felt. I can't put myself in his shoes. But that probably sort of stops you in your tracks and puts you back a little bit. When God asked you, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Then after an amazing discourse, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with it through the following chapters, we get over to Job chapter 40 and verse 2 when he says, Shall he that contends with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves God, let him answer it. I think Job by that time had pretty much reached about as low as he could go. You know, the old song goes, how low can you go? Well, Job Job was pretty low about then because he realized that he didn't have an answer for that. The one who possesses the stars and all the galaxies, which one the one of the um, space shots they made inter, went into was it which what galaxy did it go into was it Venus that burned up this week? Saturn. It was Saturn? Okay, I'm forgetting which one it was. You know, it took how many years for it to reach there? Um, years and years. I think it was 15, 20 years, something like that. It took. Was, was it longer than that? I didn't. Was it 20? I didn't read my news release very well. But the one who possesses the stars and all the galaxies and all therein is now watching, he's waiting, he's listening, and he's considering. Right now he is looking for his treasure. He is looking for those people who will, as it says over in John chapter 4 and verse 23, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. He wants us to be there. He wants us to be a part of that. Do you remember the circumstances under which this particular Scripture was uttered? You remember Christ had come up to a well, and there was a woman who came up to the well, a Samaritan woman, who Christ then told her all of her history. And she said when He asked her where was her husband, 
She says, I have no husband. He said, you answer rightly because you've had five in the past, but you don't currently have one. Uh, so he knew exactly who she would, and that's where he said this. Even this woman who was, a, in effect, a questionable background, Christ was seeking her, looking at her, talking to her, listening to her, considering her, as it were. The God of the universe was still searching for another special treasure, even from a quote-unquote disgraced woman of Samaria. God doesn't make distinctions in sex and race and color, creed, however you want to call it. We're all His creatures. We're all His birthright, as it were. We're the ones that He has birthed and, and called. This woman, He was after her love, her worship, and all of that mattered. But you know something? So does ours. Maybe even a little bit more because we have been had our, we have had our eyes opened. We have been given the Spirit of God. And a little bit more is going to be you know, required of us as we go along. As Charles mentioned in the announcements, we're only five days away from the Feast of Trumpet in the beginning of the fall holy days. Most of the so-called Christian world will not take any notice. Some people may wonder if they're familiar with us coming to a building on the Sabbath why we're there on a Thursday. Don't worry about atonement because it's still another Sabbath as well. So they'll, they'll maybe not even notice. But you know, much later in the year, a couple of months later, most of the world will be spending a remarkable amount of time and money in observing a day that most of them feel is the birth of Christ. Yet, little of that time, little of that money actually goes to God. Some of us also spend a lot of time, a lot of money, in buying gifts for our loved ones on birthdays, on anniversaries and weddings and Feast of Tabernacles and other times. And that's not wrong. Don't get me wrong. That's not wrong. That's good. We should. But that is a situation where have you ever wanted to be able to give someone the perfect gift? I've tried several times and I don't know that I've ever made it, but I've come close, I hope, a couple of times. Have we ever been able to give the perfect gift? You look at the story of the wise men when they came to see Christ's child when he was born. They brought him gold. They brought him, according to the scriptures, frankincense and myrrh. Again, all of which, if you study it, you'd realize these are very valuable commodities. But can we give God, do we have the capability of giving God something that he will treasure for eternity? Something that he seeks all over the world. Can we lift up our voices in praise and in adoration and obedience from our heart? Not as a hypocrite and playing a part, but from our heart. If we do, it will all end up in God's treasure box. You know, during Christ's earthly ministry, He constantly clashed with the Pharisees. I mean, it was an ongoing situation. I'm sort of glad they were there in a way because it gave us a lot of instructions. But they had everything backwards. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 15, in talking with them, he said, You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed upon men is an abomination in the sight of God. What men esteem is an abomination in the sight of God. 
So if that is the case, what then does God highly esteem? What does He really value? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 9, I think a part of the answer is found. Thus says the Lord, Even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, and as the handful after the harvestman, and none shall gather them. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and he knows me. That he knows that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So, the things that men esteem that they delight in is an abomination to God. Here are the things that God really delights in. For those people who understand and know Him and who exercise, in other words, who actively have loving kindness, proper judgment, and righteousness. Another scripture with a good answer in that as well is Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. It says, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. That's a scripture that always just truly amazed me. For the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Think about that. He inhabits. He lives in. He is there. He is eternity. Most of us have trouble as finite human beings even defining eternity. Everything with us has a beginning and an end. But He inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also. These are the ones He wants in His holy place. Those who are a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And one final scripture on that subject. In Isaiah chapter 66, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. And where is the house that you build unto me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things is my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man, to this person, will I look, even to him that is a poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. You know, God does not just acknowledge obedience. He certainly notices it. But it says here He delights in it. And it becomes a treasure to Him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in the burnt offerings and the sacrifices as He does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Obedience God places that in His treasure book. All these other things that we may sacrifice or whatever, it falls very far below our obedience to Him. As I said, we saw earlier in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, I'm going to read the verse again. It says, Now therefore, if you will obey My voice, keep My covenant, then you shall be a special treasure unto Me above all people. For all the earth is mine. 
Do we, those of us in this room, those of us who hear my voice, want to be a part of God's treasure? In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14 it says, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept His ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. In verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and the Lord hearkened. He heard. He listened and heard it. And a book of remembrance. Hmm. Treasure book. A book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in that day when I make up my jewels, make up my treasure, you'll pardon me for maybe putting something in that's not actually in the scriptures, but I think it stands for that. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. In his sermon last Sabbath, most of you think we're here, Wynn Skelton mentioned this message that's found over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you, those of you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. It's waiting. It's reserved. It's there. God has a book of remembrance. And He has, I think, a real treasure box full of His jewels that are reserved in heaven. I think the question we all need to answer is are we going to be in it?